Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Leading into Easter, um, we're just continuing to look at the cross from different angles and perspectives and draw out the richness of the cross for us in our relationship with God. And so last week, um, I talked about the idea of the cross as a divine magnet um, and it drawing up all, like Jesus lifted, as, as he is lifted up, all men are drawn to him like this divine magnetic impulse. And also the idea that the, all the powers and the authorities and the evil of the world was also drawn to the cross and defeated. And so the cross working is kind of like this double magnet in two directions, drawing all people and, draw, and drawing all evil and um, dealing with that. So that, I talked about that last week. Um, tonight I want to talk about the cross as the throne of God. And this really is just, I just want to give to you like another image, another metaphor, another way of seeing um, this cross that um, stands at the centre of our faith, that stands at the centre of the world, that we in our ongoing, you know, faith and in our ongoing spiritual life would just never be tired of gazing at the cross, that we would never be bored with learning about the cross, that it will always come to us in new and fresh ways. And so this this idea is actually um, a way that in the last, probably in the last 18 months, I've just seen something new about the cross through some study that I've done. And so I'm going to share it with you tonight, probably a little bit imperfectly, because whenever you've sort of learned something new, it's always a bit rough. But, um, but yeah, I, I genuinely believe that, I don't even know what's up there. Oh, yeah, that. Um, <laughs> if you go to the, I don't know, go, yeah, no, the next one. Yeah, as we, you know, if you were to shine, if the, if the cross was like a, a diamond and you were to shine a light through the cross, it could refract in a million different ways. That you could see what God is doing and what God is like in so many different perspectives. And so there's some of the things that we've done over the years. There's some of the things that we're still to, to do if, you know, in time. But the, the idea of the cross as the throne of God is what we're going to talk about tonight. So, before I get into anything, I just want to um, ask you a couple of questions and get you to talk to the person next to you or those around you if you might need to move if you're not really sitting next to anyone. And this is what I want you to talk about. When you read about the throne of God in Scripture, how do you imagine that or how do you envision that? Now, I'm just making a large assumption, which I know you should never do, but I have quite an active imaginative life, especially when it comes to my spirituality. So when the Bible's giving me images and metaphors, I'm usually like imagining things in my mind. Maybe you do too, maybe you don't, that's okay. Um, I think we all kind of do it to a certain extent because our brains are actually wired like that to turn words into pictures and to, like that's why books are so amazing. That's why books are better than movies because you've made it up, right? And then the movie comes along and you're like, that's not how it happened because <laughs> in your mind, the whole thing was different. Like that's, you know, so that's what it is to be human. So I want you to talk to the person next to you about how you envision or, you know, imagine the throne of God. And in particular, this is one of the, one of the key verses in our scripture, Hebrews 4.16. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's one of the 
big throne of grace images. And so I want you to talk about that. And I want you to also just talk briefly about like how does the throne of God, like how has it operated as a metaphor in your spiritual life? If you can kind of answer that question. I know that's kind of like quite a significant question. But if you, how have you approached it? How have you, how's it operated in your life? What goodness has it brought to you, to your prayer life, to your thought life, to your spiritual life? Like how is the throne of God worked in your life so just take a couple of minutes and chat about that and then um (laughs) okay um I um you know all all images that are given to us in scripture images like the throne of God um coming before the throne of God in confidence all those images are there to serve and really enrich our relationship with God and I would also say that all images and metaphors limp as in no one image or metaphor can contain the fullness of who God is or how God works. And so, um, you know, I want to say, you know, that about, like what I'm talking about tonight is really just an image and a metaphor that limps but is helpful to us. And so, like, I don't know about you, but when I have in my wild and vivid imagination, you know, come across verses like that and others that talk about the throne of God, my imagination naturally goes towards some kind of gigantic courtroom, or room, gigantic like throne room, you know, like I don't know, like from the crown or something, like massive. And of course, because in my mind that's got to be somewhere in heaven, there's going to be thousands upon thousands of people in this, in this room worshipping at the, you know, at the throne, you know, the throngs of people just worshipping at the foot of the throne of God. And then when I come to verses in Hebrews where it says, you know, boldly, Um, I approach the throne of grace with confidence. I have this image in my mind that I might enter that courtroom somewhere in the back, right? And there's thousands of people everywhere. But I, because I can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, just get to shove everybody else aside until I get to the front where... God is sitting on the throne and I don't know, I don't often spend a lot of time imagining that and some people might think, well, are there three thrones? Is there one for the Son and one for the Father and one for the Spirit? Is there, I don't know, I don't get into the details, right? It's just an image. And then I can know, I know that I can boldly come up to that throne of grace and ask God for anything. Ask God for whatever I need and that kind of image of boldly approaching the throne of grace, knowing that Yes, there are thousands and thousands of people that are connected to God, but each one of us can just boldly push through and approach God in any way at any time that we need. Like that's an image that's really served me well in my relationship with God. It's given me confidence. It's given me a sense of intimacy. It's given me a sense of God knowing me and caring for me and listening to me. And it's operated really well in my prayer life to sometimes just image that that amongst all the things going on and all the people needing things, I can just still be, you know, the one with the good elbows that gets to the front. And then, of course, like, there is another way that this has, you know, served me well. And it really probably comes from, like, um, and it it takes the the image and the metaphor to be a little bit more intimate than that. It's like, and it's something that's probably come from my kids. So I might be at any given time of the day sitting like Annalise is here. Can you see Annalise? She's sitting with her legs crossed, you know. I might be sitting like that in my house. I could be doing anything. I'd be reading a book. I could be doing... And my children, any one of them, will just come right up to me and do this and then sit on my lap. Like, they will bodily move me and then jump on my lap. 
And so I just know that that's because they're comfortable, they want what they want, and they're just going to hop right up there and get it. Like, get real close, drape all over you, breathe all over you, you know, all the... And my kids, Archie in particular, still does it. It's, it's, it's annoying and wonderful often. <laughs> but I know that image, that even amongst that, that's like the next step. Like, I've elbowed everyone else out and I'm standing before the throne of God with confidence. But I also know that I can flick God's leg off his knee and just climb right up there in his lap and just be there. And he can go on doing whatever he does. I don't, I don't know, ruling the world. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but I'm right there, like, on the, you know, on the chest of God, listening to God's heart. But, like, that's an intimate image of relationship. That, that's a place of safety and security for me, that, like, I can do that, and I can just let go of everything that I'm worried about. I can let go of all that's happening around me and just sit, you know, in that space of God, knowing that God is, is um, secure for me. And so that's sort of like the primary way in my life that the idea of the throne of God has operated. And of course, also being a space of worship and all those other sorts of things. But in the last little while, I've been doing some study through, with some scholars and, and um, preachers through the book of John and then onwards through the book of Revelation. So Revelation and is, a, is the sequel to the Gospel of John in many ways. And so as I've been studying um, these books with with far more intelligent people than me, they have shown how through the Gospel of John in particular and then onwards into Revelation, um, the, the disciple John is relocating the throne of God to the cross. So he is not imaging it in a courtroom or in a place of like that, that kind of heavenly courtroom imagery. He's relocating that whole entire thing to the cross. And so I'm going to do a quick and perhaps an ordinary job of sort of showing you briefly through the Gospel of John how, jo- how John is doing this to just sort of, I don't know, give you a little bit of confidence that I haven't just made it up. <laughs> but, um, and primarily what John is doing, and as you start to read through the book of John, you'll see this. This is how like my eyes have opened that John is always talking about Jesus being lifted up. When I am lifted up, when I am lifted up, when I come into my glory, when I am glorified, when I am exalted. That's the imagery and the language that Jesus is using all throughout, you know, as he's speaking to people. And um, things like this. Um, John chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that word lifted up literally means, does mean lifted up, but also means exalted. So the Son of Man is going to be exalted. Like that's, that's coronation language. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This lifting up of the Son of Man is the language Jesus is using about his crucifixion, that he is going to be not crucified but exalted. So the cross for Jesus is an exaltation, not a death. And John goes on to talk about the glorification of the Son of Man. Jesus replied, the hour has come. 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's not the hour has come for the Son of Man to be slayed or crucified or killed or rejected or any of those other things. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. There's a lot of glory language in these passages. Father, Jesus is praying, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then another, like, so there's all this language that this lifting up of Jesus on the cross is an exaltation and a glorification. And John's slowly relocating the idea that God is glorified in heaven, God is glorified on a throne somewhere in a heavenly realm to the idea that, that this crucifixion is the exaltation and glory of God. It is the throne of God. It's the place where John's relocating all of this stuff. And you see this almost very, this reframes some of the things you read. So if we, if we look at Mark chapter 10, and we, this is a familiar story for us, where sometimes it's the mother of James and John, or it's James and John themselves. They come to Jesus and they say, um, you know, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> That's very bold. <laughs> um, what would you like me to do for you, Jesus said. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Some translations, when you come in your glory, can we sit at your right and at your left? That's what they're asking Jesus. Because they're imagining, a lot what Becca said before, that Jesus is going to come in like a military conqueror and he's going to rule and reign and that his right hand and his left hand man are going to be sitting with Jesus right there in places of authority because Jesus is going to be enthroned. And Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. They're so eager. I love them. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And I think prior to having this sort of shift in understanding, I just always thought that, I don't know what I thought about that, but maybe I just thought that maybe when we got to heaven, everyone would get a turn. I don't know. Like it can't be two special people in all the earth, right, that just get to sit forever next to Jesus. That would be very unfair. We know God has no favourites. So using that whole like original metaphor of some kind of throne room and it's in heaven, there has to be some kind of rotational roster, right, where we all go, maybe one day you're at the right and then you move to the left and you go on for like, I don't know, 100,000 years. (laughs) I don't know, but I never really gave it much thought. But if you kind of relocate the idea of the throne is like the cross is the throne of God. Who's sitting at the right and the left? Two criminals. Jesus had no control over who would be enthroned at his right and his left with him. That was out of his control. But that's the image that's been given to us, that two criminals are the ones that sit at the right and the left of Jesus as he's enthroned. 
And of course, if we have a look at any of the um, crucifixion or the, the, the arrest and the trial and the, the narratives that lead up to the crucifixion of Jesus, particularly in the book of Mark and definitely in the book of John, what we're basically seeing is a coronation process. The language of coronation is being given to us. So, you know, particularly here in John chapter 18 and John chapter 19, Jesus is in the palace of Pilate. So he's in the place of authority. Um, Jesus is dressed in a purple robe. Jesus is crowned with thorns, but a crown nonetheless. Jesus is hailed king of the Jews. In Mark it says they bow down and worship him. And they punch him, but they, it's, a, it's a mockery, but it's a coronation that's taking place. Um, they, they do place people on the right and the left of Jesus. And his kingship is even written down and signed with that sign above the cross that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And so both the writer of Mark and the writer of John are using all of this coronation language to indicate, sitting behind just this narrative, this is how God became king. This is how God is enthroned. He's lifted up, he's exalted, and his place of glory between two criminals is a cross. And that is now where the rule and reign of God is situated. And that is now the place of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus on the cross. Um, we see this carried on in, in Revelation, um, the book of Revelation. I'm always really hesitant to bring up the book of Revelation because it's like just complex, isn't it? Like, and there's no way you can ever really well just take a verse out of Revelation and go see because it's just all so weird. But, um, but particularly, I, this is what I've been told again, particularly Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 sit together as a piece within the overall book of Revelation. And they are, um, scholars, some scholars have said they are a picture of the, cru the day of crucifixion from the perspective of heaven. So in the Gospel of John, we get the narrative of the crucifixion looking from the perspective of earth. And in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we get the same perspective of what's happening from the heavenly realms. And it's weird, and there are flying things, and lots of scrolls and eyes. Like, it's weird. Um, but it's a picture coming from, you know, the heavenly realms. And there's a boring, there's a structure, there's lots of structures in the Bible, literary structures, but there's a structure through those two chapters. And the high point, or the high point of that, um, whole structure that John is writing in Revelation chap chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 is, is verse 6, which is the second one here. So I'll read the first one. So we, then one of the elders said to me, this is like, anyway, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. They're looking at the cross from the heavens perspective. See his triumph. This isn't a death. This is a triumph. This is a triumph. And he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And that, that verse, then I saw the lamb, 
looking as if he is slain, standing at the centre of the throne. It's the high point of this structure of these two chapters. And it's like John is seeing that from heaven's perspective. The slain lamb is on the throne in the centre of all things. That's the high point of God. And so over you know, many verses and lots of imagery and lots of different things, John is trying to give us another image of the throne of God as being located on the cross. This is where the throne of God is. This is the rule and reign of God on the cross. Um, Jesus crucified, arms outstretched. That's the place of the reign of God. Um, And it's in addition to the idea that there's a courtly heaven kind of boardroom where God issues commands from. It's a different kind of image and I think it has a whole lot to offer us um, in our spiritual lives and in our prayer lives. Um, There's a great um, icon of the crucifixion. That's not a very great resolution but the um the saint damian cross or the san damiano cross which is actually funnily enough the the cross that saint francis of assisi kneeled before when he had his epiphany about god being with the lowly but this is this is a crucifix um common in catholicism but it's a very different crucifix to what you normally see even in catholic i mean if you've been around me a while you would have seen me show a few different catholic paintings often a catholic crucifix is jesus is He's, he, he looks like he's dying most of the time, right? He's sort of like, definitely like, you know. This is not a dying Jesus. This is a, an alert, powerful, ruling Jesus. Yes, he's crucified. He's on the cross, but he, he's not passing away and weak and faint. He's strong and his arms are outstretched. And it get, he has some wicked abs, yeah. Um, they're really weirdly shaped. <laughs> um, but this is <laughs> it's a very different kind of picture of the cross. But it brings out this image. When you look at that, you can see the, the kingly reign of Jesus on the cross. You can, see, you can see an audacity. You can see a confidence. You can see a power and authority that's centered on the cross. And so... I have come to really appreciate just shifting those kind of like, that kind of, that shifting my imagination from like that that whole coming to the courtroom of of God and boldly pushing everyone away and standing before the throne of God and just boldly asking God for whatever I want for. That's like served me really well. But this is also serving me well now. This idea that as I come before the throne of grace with confidence, I'm coming before the cross of Christ seeing him lifted up and glorified, having a relocation of the rule and reign of God from some kind of heavenly realm out there somewhere to, some, to the earthly place of sacrificial love. Like that's serving me well in my prayer life and in my spiritual life right now. It's, it's not everything. It's not meant to... I guess to... It's another thing that has helped me... Um, it's helped me to see Jesus like ruling from that place, arms outstretched on the hardwood of the cross, like everything coming into his embrace. Like it really does change the way I pray. It changes the way I posture myself before God. Because, you know, when I come before a throne room or I, you know, flick, flick 
God's leg off God's knee and climb right up in his lap. It's really, I feel totally bold enough to kind of say, God, can you just do something about my sore back? Like, and I need a parking spot tomorrow. And can you just fix it? Like, it's, it's, I have the intimacy of that when I'm sitting on God's lap. I feel very different about coming before the throne of grace with confidence if it's Jesus outstretched on the cross and being like, oh, Jesus, I have a sore back. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, yeah, okay, perspective. Like, it doesn't mean that I don't matter. It doesn't mean I lose the intimacy. But it broadens out my prayer life to something that's far less self-centered than what my prayer life can ordinary be. Because all of a sudden, I'm coming before, I'm kneeling before, I'm drawing near this sacrificial one who chose the location of his glory, not to be some kind of powerful throne, but to be a cross that he willingly died on. Like, it shifts something for me that's been healthy. So I want to, as we finish up a bit tonight, I want to ask, I just want to give you some space to explore this with the people around you. Like I want to ask you, what might an imagination of the cross as the throne of God, what might that actually do for your prayer life? Like what, 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 would that, what could that serve in your prayer life or in your spiritual life? How might it offer you a different way to approach the throne of grace with confidence? And then how does the rule and reign of God act or seem different for you? This is a, like, this is a personal thing. It's not like the rule or reign of God changes in any way. God just rules and reigns, like whether he's on a throne or on a cross or on a donkey or I don't know. He's just God, right? So it's not, it's not about theology. This is about interaction with us and God. But how does, how does, how does the idea of Jesus ruling and reigning from the cross you know, act or seem different for you between a, like between the throne room imagery or the cross? Like what does that have to offer us? So maybe just have a, a chat for a few minutes and I'd really like to hear some of the feedback of what people are thinking and how your imagination or your thinking has been sparked by this idea of seeing the cross of God as the throne. Yeah? Okay, how are we going? Who's, who's got some good thoughts for us? Anyone? Did anyone, you can dob someone else in in your group and be like, they said something really interesting. Okay, I'll come up. Hang on. I'll, I'll speak for Laurel. <laughs> so Laurel was saying he grew up Orthodox and they have more, they always have the view of Jesus alive on the cross. So for him, it's abs. not ab abs. So for him, it's not that big of a stretch like yeah. to, to celebrate the cross. Yeah. And that would be why, that's the gift of uh, all images in the Orthodox and the Catholic Church with Jesus still on the cross. They're not saying he never rose again. They're just relocating him as the living king still ruling and reigning from the cross. Is that where Jesus actually is, somewhere in Jerusalem? No, it's not literal, but it gives us a really accessible metaphor around this wasn't just a one-time event that Jesus just humbled himself once and then he was done with that humbling thing and now he's off to glory. No, no, this was the glory and forever he will rule and reign and be seen as the crucified one on the cross alive again like that's the that's the gift of this type of thing so so good and he has a really big halo yeah really big one <laughs> what about anyone else have Fleming <laughs> hi <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Sorry. 
Thanks. Um, I'll try and do it very quickly. But the, for me, I've grappled for a long time with this concept of the way of the cross. What is the way of the cross? And, and often, I think people have the literal way of the cross where, you know, there's a wooden beam being carried and the Via Della Rosa and the fall and the stumble and Catholics often have it around the church walls. And so there's the way of the cross. But I don't think the way of the cross is the literal way of the cross because we're all told to take up our cross. And so therefore... It's not taking up the literal way of the cross, but it's taking up the meaning of the way of the cross. And it appears to me that the way of the cross is recognising that even though everybody thinks that God's way is that you will succeed and everything will work out and everything will be right, this shows that even when it turns to crap, God still reigns and makes it right. And and that's the the way. So therefore, when I see some of that imagery, I'm loving that thought of people looking at the cross from heaven, like all of the heavenly beings looking and going, what's happened now? And God saying, just watch this. And it suddenly exploding into a completely different way of everybody's understanding that to win you must be powerful and strong and better and good. But in actual fact, God shows through the way of the cross, he actually achieves in circumstances very much different to that. Amen. Anything else? Oh. Um, we just sat with the thought that um, the victory and the glory isn't in Resurrection Sunday. It's actually in Good Friday and showing that how God has humbled himself and that um, <coughs> we don't need to seek glory. We, don't, we just need to be who we are, where we are. Um, that's where God has placed us and we don't need the other to be his glory, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? So good. So good. Anyone else? I think one of the helpful things for me, I guess, is more around the last point, which is, I, I guess, probably subconsciously, I'd discarded the that courtroom chair throne kind of imagery as a way of approaching God because it didn't sit with I guess what I'd come to know and understand of the nature of how God reigns and rules so it is not a God that rules over and lords over he's somehow a God that rules through co-suffering love but probably there wasn't like a helpful way of kind of visualizing that in a way that I can approach God so to, to have that as situated on the cross and the cross being the throne and that, that actually also being that the image of how God rules yeah is is kind of is yeah helpful I think for for how I actually interact with God it's good anyone else oh, Sarah 
Um, just in terms of how you're sort of inclined to pray, like with the image of sitting on the father's knee, you sort of get that sense of comfort and, you know, just sharing like, you know, like, like say when kids are just like, but it hurts and you're thinking it's okay, but they're like, but it really hurts. Um, but with that image of, you know, the throne of God as Jesus crucified, it sort of, it feels like you kind of come with a very different style of prayer or like just way of really, you know, that sort of authority and power of God in suffering. And I'm going to throw, yeah, Jackie, she shared something just really beautiful. Like it just shows just how God knows our pain. It's sort of implicit in the image, you know, and so it's deeply comforting. And um, just as God humbled himself, it's sort of like you would get humbled by that image of just sort of something in you just lets go and kind of is lifted a bit higher or something. Yeah, that's great. So good. Anyone else want to share something? You took a deep breath back. I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> You're just breathing deeply. I'm just. I'm, I was thinking of. Um, I'm going to paraphrase a Jurgen Moltmann quote that something like, "You know, we are a crucified people. Only a crucified God can help us." And um, I was just thinking of, like, when we stand before the throne of God as Jesus being crucified, it, like, I think it, like you said, it kind of causes us to think about who are the people around me who are being crucified. Maybe I'm experiencing suffering that is like that, or maybe I'm not. And Oh, the dog came back. Every time I speak, the dog comes in here. Oh, my God. It's a sign we need a dog. Keep it. We'll take the dog. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. Something. Um, yeah, I guess it helps me to, to think about, like, am I located with crucified people? Like, am I, you know, like we have seasons of our life when we experience that as well. And some of us maybe come from people groups that are historically have been crucified or are being crucified and just yeah I guess that's just what I was thinking about and and then how much more hope do I have knowing oh God knows what this is like God is not apart from this experience and God will take this experience take this poison like we talked about last week and recycle it into something brand like something new um Um, this this has just been a powerful thing helpful thing in my life in my worship in my prayer as I come to God and I, I wanted to offer it to you tonight as another way that our scriptures talk about the cross um, but we have I hadn't seen it and it was it's been really helpful what I would like us to do to finish tonight is actually just have a time of worship um, I'm just going to sing a song together Becca and Chris are going to lead us and I, and I want us to, as we're singing this song, um, you can sing, or you can be still, um, you can pray, but I would like you to image the cross as the throne of God as we're singing um, tonight. And just let the Holy Spirit have some space to, to draw you into this. You know, maybe you want to talk to Jesus as he's on the cross. Maybe you want to resonate with the suffering maybe you want to just worship um, I'm not sure what it is that 
the Holy Spirit will do in you. But I want to give us some space just to draw near, not with our brains, but with our hearts and our bodies um, in worship. One of the very profound and interesting things about um, the book of Revelation as a whole, but in particular chapters 4 and 5 of that same uh, vision of the cross from the perspective of heaven is it's a pri- two primary chapters where we get so much worship language. It is full of worship. And so I want to read out to you some of what's written in those chapters and it will be familiar to you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. To him who sits upon the throne, that slain lamb at the center of the throne, to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And echoing around these chapters as as John is given the image of the slain lamb at the center of the throne, it's the echo of the praise of heaven, worshiping at the foot of the cross seeing death as life and loss as gain and suffering as hope and the end as the beginning and worshipping and worshipping and worshipping at the foot of the cross, which is the throne of God. And I just wanted to give us a space to do that together tonight. And so Chris and Becca, do you want to come up and um, maybe we can just all stand and I'm going to pray, and then I just want you, as Chris and Becca pray, as play, sing, just enter in however you feel like you'd like to tonight. Singing, silence, worship, kneeling, praying, talking. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are the one who gives us Jesus. You are the comforter, you minister to us the person of Christ, the spirit of Christ. And as we are gathered here today, Holy Spirit, would you enliven our worship? Would you bring us to the foot of the cross? Would you bring us to the throne of Christ? Would you help us to see our King and Lord lifted up and exalted on that cross, dying for the life of the world, ruling and reigning from a place of weakness that is strength, from the place of death that is life. Holy Spirit, would you enliven that to us this afternoon? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. (laughs) Hehehe. <laughs>